Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Jonathan Kaplan. Jonathan, are you ready to do this? Absolutely, George. Looking forward to it. Excellent. Let's do this. Jonathan Jonathan is the founder of Numeris Capital, a cryptocurrency investment fund based in Austin, Texas. I'm excited to have you on. Jonathan, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Thanks, George. So uh, my 60-second life history is that I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, but I received a scholarship to the business school here at UT Austin, where I studied information systems and pledged the Sigma Chi fraternity. When I graduated in 2012, I first spent several years in chemical sales at a major conglomerate before realizing that that just really wasn't the industry for me. And so coincidentally, as I start to look around for new work in a different industry that you know would have me properly jumping out of bed every morning, I happened to get an email from the chapter advisor at Texas Sigma Chi telling me that although the chapter had recently been recharted when I was an undergrad and had been you know, very small when I pledged, we had grown to become one of the largest in the country by 2015 and that the university was mandating that we hire a live-in RA. Uh, they wanted an, an alumnus to be there, to live at the house, to keep an eye on the undergrads and basically make sure that they don't burn the place down. And so... <laughs> I thought for about 10 seconds before thinking, you know, that sounds like a really fun story, or at least the beginning of one. And so I took the job and uh, sold all my stuff and left my very nice apartment and um, moved into a 400 square foot dorm room at uh, Texas Sigma Chi in June of 2015. And I've been there for four years now. And uh, long story short, when I first got there, I I figured it would sort of be a, a stepping stone where I would get my life together, spend a few years there help the undergrads by sort of checking off this box that they had to comply with the university and then I'd be on my way. But after about six months, I realized that I really enjoyed the work. Um, as an undergrad, I helped to build the chapter back up from nothing. And it was so meaningful and fulfilling that now to come back as an alumnus and to continue that work and to help mentor the undergrads to, you know, do the best that they can be the best that they can be and ideally not make some of the mistakes I had made both as an undergrad and as a young alum, um, you know, it was just deeply fulfilling work. And so I was thinking to myself, you know, I'd like to stay here for a while, for five years, for 10 years, just to see where this goes. And if I'm going to do that, I need to make money from a computer. You know, I can't be chaperoning pledge mixers three nights a week and then also <laughs> trying to go to an office. And um, I, I need to be financially independent. And ideally, I need to be able to run some sort of business or I need to make money from a computer. And so um I'd, I'd gone to business school. I'd always been very interested in finance and investing. And so I just, I do what I do best. I'm kind of a nerd. And so I went to the library and I checked out a ton of books and I started reading about investing. And I thought at first, if I could invest in the stock market and do pretty well, then maybe I could make money off the capital I had saved during my handful of years um, working in the corporate world. And, you know, then I could eventually live off the interest, sort of the, um, you know, early retirement extreme sort of idea. And I happened to read this one book in particular that I'd, I'd highly recommend called Anti-Fragile by Nassim Taleb. And the, the concept of the book is about investing in systems that benefit from chaos and disorder. And I thought to myself, you know, the world is pretty chaotic. And I think that if I can invest in systems that benefit from chaos and volatility, then whatever happens to the world, I should do pretty well. And so after a lot of thinking and a lot more reading, in January of 2016, I 
took my life savings, which was about $40,000 at the time, and I took half of it, and I started investing in Bitcoin. It was about $400 at the time. Um, for the listeners who haven't been paying too much attention, today it's about 4000 so that's been a nice ride. For sure. Um, then I took the other half of my money, and I started investing, um, if you can say that, I started betting on Donald Trump to win the primaries because um, I'll talk a bit more about Bitcoin later, but I noticed that that Trump, you know, regardless of what you think about him, um, every time he would say something crazy or ridiculous or offensive in the mainstream media would say, oh, he's done. He's gone. He's, he's just dead in the water now. But the next day, his poll numbers would go up and his rallies would get bigger. And I thought, you know, whatever doesn't kill this guy is just making him stronger somehow. And so I took a little beer money and I bet on him in one of the primaries and he won and I tripled my money. And so I just rolled it over to the next one and the next one and let it all ride through the nomination and, and the general. So that, 2016 was a heck of a year because at the same time, Bitcoin had about tripled from where I initially started purchasing it. And once I had all that crazy drama of the election over and it wasn't distracting me anymore, I, I was able to dig really deep into Bitcoin and discovered not only that it was even more of a game-changing investment than I thought it was, but that also it had spawned this entire industry of other assets that had sort of taken some of the techno the technological pieces used to build Bitcoin, and they had started doing completely other things that, that really, you know, I, I wouldn't even call them cryptocurrencies these days. I like to call them crypto assets just because there are quite a few systems out there that are using some of this, what's called a blockchain Um now, you know, a lot of these things are, are just crap, whether they're well-intentioned projects or not. I'd say about 99% of the sector's crap, but 1% of it is just absolute world-changing revolutionary technology. And it's still in its infancy, and it's still very difficult to understand if you're not a computer programmer. Um, and so there were quite a few people in 2017 as the whole market just, you know, caught on fire and, and things were growing by an order of magnitude. I started getting calls and emails because, of course, by this time, I'm the crazy house dad that had been talking about how Trump was an <laughs> undervalued asset and Bitcoin's going to take over the world. And, you know, people are telling their families and their friends. And I convinced my mom to buy a bunch of Bitcoin when I did. And so she had no idea what it was, but was more than happy to tell all her coworkers about, you know, how she was up 500 percent on, you know, this crazy niche investment. Um, anyway, so the emails start coming in, the phone calls come in and. People are saying, look, I, I like the ideas behind this technology. I agree with the fundamentals and the concepts, but you know, I, I don't have time to keep up with this 24-7, 365 market that is crazy volatile and moves 10 times faster than the stock market. You know, And even if I did, I just, I'm not that tech savvy. A lot of them were older fraternity alumni, folks in their 50s, 60s, 70s. And, and so eventually I received so many calls, I thought, you know, I should just start a service helping people to invest in this industry, because I think it's so important. I think that we're going to be changing the world in a very similar way to how the internet changed the world. I think that Bitcoin and these technologies are very much building an, an internet of value in the same way that we've already built an internet of data. And you know, boy, what people wouldn't give to go back in time and to be able to invest in the internet back in 1994 when it was just getting started. And that's basically where I think we are in the crypto world today. So. In mid-2017, I uh, basically opened up uh, an institutional investment fund. Uh, we're headquartered here in Austin, Texas, registered with the Texas State Securities Board and the SEC. We're completely legitimate. I just happened to run it all by myself from the dorm room of a fraternity <laughs> house. And so um, 
I've actually weathered our recent bear market quite well. I'm, I'm outperforming the market. I've been in mostly cash since the heyday of uh, 2017. Um, people tend to think that Bitcoin is dead and that it was a bubble that just popped. And they're often surprised when I do my presentations and I show them that if you zoom in on the, the 10 year history of Bitcoin, that it actually is composed of about six different bubbles that have, well, they popped, but Bitcoin has this nice little habit of growing an order of magnitude, jumping up one or 2000% and then losing 70, 80, 90% of its value before turning around and doing the same thing. And so I've been telling people that, you know, this is a very interesting industry because typically big finance gets involved first. Wall Street or the hedge funds or the smart money tends to get involved and then retail investors are the last people left holding the bag when, you know, people are taking profits. And th in this instance, it was nerds like me, the, the weird libertarians and the anarcho-capitalists and the computer nerds that were able to discover this and get ahead of Wall Street. And right now, Wall Street is very quickly frantically trying to catch up and i think it's probably going to be another six months or so before they're quite ready but you know the charts are starting to look a little bit better and fundamentally the space is growing and improving at a rate that you know i've never seen in the four years that i've been here um and i don't think we've ever seen since this industry was created a mere decade ago so despite the the boring price action where we've basically been going sideways for a few months here it's it's an incredibly exciting time to be involved in this industry and i'm just very thankful for folks like yourself that are giving me an opportunity to tell more people about what's going on. Well, I think that that's a really <laughs> pretty incredible story that, 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 that you have. So very, very cool. Congratulations. Um, you talk about how, how they've been how a real roller coaster. Yeah. Nice. So there've been six sort of market corrections for lack of a better term with Bitcoin. When, when you look at it, mm -hmm. Can, can you say that there are market fundamentals in place or are those sort of being built out over time? It's a, it's a great question, George. Um, yes, there, there are absolutely fundamentals. Um, it's one of the more difficult things about this industry, like minis, is that it's a very nuanced industry. And, and so what I like to tell people, sort of my, you know, my fun facts about this, is that really you, you can't take a look at the crypto asset industry as a whole in the same way that you really can't take a look at at the stock market as a whole you have to take a look at individual companies and you know facebook is totally different from cisco which is totally different from bayer and so on and um i tell people you know start with bitcoin ignore everything else because bitcoin is all by itself i'd like to say that it's a technological political and socio-economic revolution that has accidentally and unfortunately been disguised as a get-rich-quick scheme. Um, the fundamentals behind Bitcoin are, are pretty similar, um, or pretty simple, and um, I've actually written a, a Medium article that contains all this research for, for the folks that um, think I'm moving a little too fast when I try to summarize 12,000 years of financial history into 30 <laughs> seconds for this podcast right here. But essentially, you know, I make an argument um, that money – is a technology that was invented by humans to solve a handful of very specific problems related to bartering. And that as we started developing this technology tens of thousands of years ago in trying to figure out ways that we can better store value and conduct commerce, uh, we noticed that certain items worked better than others. That, you know, we might have started with beads and shells and feathers and shark's teeth, but we very quickly upgraded to things like gold and gems and precious metals because there are certain 
fundamental characteristics that make some monies better than others. Things like fungibility, divisibility, portability, scarcity, acceptability, durability. We call them the monetary ideals. So you can actually compare various items and commodities based on not some sort of subjective, you know, I like platinum because of the color and I think it's better than gold. You can actually take a look at some of the qualities of these assets and you can say, well, you know, platinum might be rarer than gold, but we dig it up out of the ground at a faster rate. So it's actually a bit higher in terms of annual inflation than gold. And so gold does have an edge when it comes to scarcity. And, you know, scarcity is probably more important than any other of the uh, monetary ideals. So what I think has happened is that every time humanity discovers a better money that allows us to better store value or conduct trade, we upgrade. And maybe everyone doesn't upgrade at the same time in the same way that not everyone adopts new technologies at the same time. Some people will wait outside the iPhone store for three weeks in the cold and the rain to be the first person to buy the brand new iPhone. And, you know, my grandmother just got a cell phone last week. So, you know, technology tends to be adopted by different groups at different times. But with money, what we've seen historically over, again, tens of thousands of years is that when we discover a better money, we upgrade because commerce is a non-zero-sum game. And if we can all play this game with you know, a a better item that makes it better for everybody, then everybody can win. And I think that Bitcoin is the greatest store of value and it's the greatest money that humanity has ever discovered. And people are slowly waking up to that. And as that happens, the market goes through a series of what we like to call hype cycles, where a lot of people don't get interested in Bitcoin because of its fundamentals. They get interested in it because they think they can get rich overnight. And then that leads to other people jumping on the bandwagon. And then you eventually you get, you know, one of these what goes up must come down sort of cycles where once you run out of buyers, all that's left are sellers. Um, But there are some very important fundamentals. Bitcoin is a money that can't be seized. It can't be censored. And most importantly, it can't be inflated by a centralized third party or government. It's the only money we have that you can actually own. You can hold. You can control No one can stop you from using it. Nobody can tell you how to spend it. No one can prevent you from spending it. And most importantly, if you own one Bitcoin, you're always going to own a certain percentage of the network. You're not going to see that supply be inflated, like our rapidly inflating fiat currencies or even with something like gold, where, you know, I was a gold bug before I found Bitcoin because I thought it was a far, far better store value and investment than leaving my money sitting in a fiat currency like the dollar or the euro or the peso or the yen, where a handful of what I believe are rather corrupt politicians and bankers get to decide how much money they want to print and how much purchasing power they want to steal from their citizens in the form of the hidden tax that is inflation. Um, so I think that it's important that people read up on these fundamentals and they realize that you know Bitcoin isn't just sort of some sort of digital tulip bulb that we're trying to trick people into buying like a a pyramid scheme of some sort but it actually is a very important technology that because of its perfectly inelastic supply um, a little bit of supply or a little bit of demand can actually fluctuate the price rather dramatically and so you end up with these ridiculous cycles that again see bitcoin jump two thousand percent but then fall 80 percent before turning around and then doing the exact same thing and i i detail all of this in that thesis that I mentioned earlier on our website. So I'll be sure to, at the end of the podcast, provide that information and, you know, don't take my word for it, go out there and, you know, check out the books I've linked or the, the articles and the podcasts that I've put in there. And, um, 
you know, I'm always happy to, to receive feedback from other people who might agree, disagree. This is still a very quickly evolving industry. And, um, you know, we're all just trying to figure out, you know, kind of what the hell is going on, but Got it. it's very exciting. Yeah. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate what you just shared and we'll certainly link to that, the medium article and obviously website. So people are, are able to invest in your fund, um, which I, I, I want you to share with us how, how people can do that. But if they just wanted to go and buy Bitcoin directly, what would be your recommendation on how people do that? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, again, my fund was just created to help people that are interested in having some exposure to this investment class, but they either you know don't have the time to, to track it themselves or they might not have the technological capabilities to handle their own cryptographic private keys and, you know, to, to manage wallets and to run nodes. And so that's what I'm here for. Um, it's structured like a hedge fund. People can, you know, write me a check, send me a wire. I do all the work of the investing and, you know, storing the cryptocurrencies and securing them. And um, I've got a nice little web portal that investors can log into and they can see yeah, exactly, you know, how their account is doing and their pro rata portions of the fund, what we're invested in. Um, you know, all the various metrics you want to look at, sharp ratios and the like. So it's very similar to logging into your Morgan Stanley account or, um, you know, your 401k and taking a look at how your investments are doing. But on top of that, you know, I, I get, it's nice because, um, you know, I, I'm the only person at my fund. I, I run it from home. I have very low overhead. So I can charge very low fees and I can also be afforded to be picky with my clientele. So um, I like to pick people that are not in this, just because they want to get rich quick or they want some silver bullet that's going to guarantee them gains. Obviously, you know, I can't guarantee anything, but um, I like finding like-minded people that, you know, care about what this industry is trying to accomplish and, and, you know, taking power away from the nation state, returning it to the individual, helping to empower savers, um, especially those who might be in other countries that are uh, just being ravaged by hyperinflation, you know, like we see going on in Venezuela or, Nigeria or Angola or, you know, gosh, just throw a dart at a world map today and you'll find a country that's stealing value from its citizens by just printing money nonstop. Um, so anyway, for those that are interested, that's that's what I do. And, you know, I, I won't take everybody into my fund, but I, I would like to hear from those who are interested in learning more. Um, but in terms of, you know, maybe people can't meet my minimums um, or, you know, it's maybe not for them at this time, but they want to get interested later. So to go on to, to the second part of your question, how can people get involved? Um, you know, first, I, I would say educate yourself. Uh, it's, it's a very nuanced industry. Um, I happen to kind of luck out where, you know, there's a lot of people who understand technology that don't really understand economics and finance. And then there's a lot of people on the other side that, you know, maybe they're great with investments and banking, but they just don't understand a thing about technology. And because I went to business school, but I studied information systems, I kind of lucked out and I'm right in the middle of that Venn diagram overlap between the technologists and the finance guys. Um, so if you happen to be like me and maybe you're younger, so you feel more comfortable with tech or uh, you, you happen to have gone to business school or you just are really good with these sorts of things, then I would say, you know, in that case, you probably don't need a guy like me. And if it's going to keep you um, interested by doing it all yourself, you know, it's it's definitely an industry where if you can't afford to pay attention every week, you probably shouldn't be doing it yourself. Um, it it does move about 10 times faster than the stock market. Um the market never stops. There's no bell that rings at 4:30. You don't get weekends and holidays off. It's 24/7, 365. It's a global marketplace. Most of the action happens overseas in Asia. Um, so, again, I would say if, if you're not genuinely interested or you have the time, 
you know, find some way to outsource it. But if you do have the technical inclinations, if you have the time, if you have the interest, um, again, I, I would start with just Bitcoin. I would keep it simple. Yes, there there are a handful of other crypto assets um, like Ethereum that are, are doing some really amazing things. Um, unfortunately, the the value proposition, or maybe that's not the right phrase, it, it might be the valuation models for a lot of these assets are, are still either non-existent or at a stage where, you know, it's, it's not quite as easy to value some of these things as it is, you know, if we were to take the traditional, you know, cash flow model and, you know, take the net present value of the discounted cash flows of a company and that can give you, you know, a rough value for it. Well, it's not, you know, that simple. Um, these networks are not anything like what we've ever seen before. So there's some parallels that can be drawn uh, between how you might value, say, a commodity like oil and how one might value, you know, a network like Ethereum, or, you know, a lot of people compare Bitcoin to a digital gold. Um, so there, there are some similarities, but um, again, because it's so complicated, unless you're a computer programmer and you want to get really, really, really deep into this, I would stick with just Bitcoin, keep it simple. Um, so I'd recommend going to a, um, a high quality US-based online exchange. Uh, for people who have never bought Bitcoin, it's very similar to how you might buy a stock. Uh, you pick an exchange on which these assets are traded. I'm a big fan of uh, both Coinbase and Kraken. Uh, those are two U.S.-based exchanges. I, I really would try to stick to something based in the U.S. I wouldn't go for some of the smaller um, non-U.S.-based exchanges. Um, we can get into some issues with you know trusting third parties with your money if we have time later. But um, I would start with something like Coinbase. I would set up an account. Um, you know, probably dollar cost average, unless again, you want to be one of those guys that's super involved. You're looking at the charts every day, every week, dollar cost averaging tends to be your best bet. If you start accumulating while it's low, you'll, you'll know when the time to sell begins. Um, you know, cause again, history shows that Bitcoin likes to jump in order of magnitude and then crash. So <laughs> once you're up about a thousand percent, start taking profits. <laughs> um, you know, that, that piece of advice will give everybody for free, but no, I would say, you know, start dollar cost averaging um, and then, you know, just focus on Bitcoin. And then um, once you've gotten that down, I would find what's called a hardware wallet um, or some sort of custody solution that does not involve leaving your cryptographic tokens with a third party. A lot of the times that you see a mainstream media article mentioning a, a hack in the cryptocurrency space, whether Bitcoin or, or otherwise, um, most of the time, it's not referring to the cryptographic protocol itself, but to the third parties that have been entrusted to store these assets. So Bitcoin has never been hacked. Bitcoin is the most powerful supercomputer network that humanity has ever established. And you would need billions of dollars worth of electricity to even try to attack Bitcoin. And you probably wouldn't be successful. And if you have billions of dollars of electricity to use anyway, you might as well just mine Bitcoin legitimately and make some money in a sort of guaranteed way rather than risking it all on attacking the network. So um, when you read about Bitcoin being hacked, it's not the protocol. There's nothing wrong with Bitcoin. Bitcoin's been running nonstop essentially since 2009 with, with very few problems, but it tends to be the exchanges that are holding Bitcoin that made some sort of mistake. And I liken it to, you know, if you trust your gold to a bank vault and the bank gets robbed, you're not going to blame gold. It's not as if your gold suddenly became broken or less valuable it was the third party that for whatever reason bungled their security so those would be my two pieces of advice find find a good exchange start dollar cost averaging just look at bitcoin ignore everything else 
even if something else takes off, don't worry, Bitcoin's going to be the, the leader of the pack. The market doesn't move without King Bitcoin. Um, so I'd focus just on Bitcoin, and then I would also make sure that once you put in enough money to worry about, uh, whatever that might be for you, find a high-quality hardware wallet like a Ledger or a Trezor and get those tokens off an exchange. You should be your own bank. You should be in charge of your own money. It requires sort of a mindset shift than we have right now where most people like to trust a third party to hold on to their assets for them. Crypto is a little different this way. Um, if you really want to put serious money into this, you need to be willing to to be responsible and protect it and maintain it yourself. And again, I, I can provide more information on those companies or those exchanges um, if your listeners would like. Well, Jonathan, Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Well, if I had to give one tip, it would be to do your own research and to not listen to a thing that the mainstream media has to say about Bitcoin or anything regarding the cryptocurrency industry. Well, I think that, that is great stuff that definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on. Give us the website again. Okay. Thank you, George. It's it's really been my pleasure. I appreciate you letting me just uh, rant all morning. Um, I get really excited about the stuff, obviously. <laughs> uh, so again, my name is Jonathan Kaplan. My website is numeris.capital. That's N-U-M-E-R-I-S dot C-A-P-I-T-A-L. There's no dot com. If you go to our website, I link that thesis that I mentioned earlier on Medium. It gives out so much more information than I've provided. I, I basically tell you about the entire 10-year history of this industry, and I link all my research so you don't have to take my word for it. There's you know 50 different hyperlinks in the article, and you'll have <laughs> years worth of reading uh, to do after that. Um, if you're curious and you want to talk to me more about the fund that I run, or really if you're just you know, please reach out. Um, if you're just curious about any of this, um, you know, you don't have to be somebody that might be uh, becoming a client. I just want to help people get involved and, and to learn more about this. So there, there is um, a, uh, a form they can fill out on our website just to learn more information, whether you want to submit your email or your phone number, you know, feel free to get in touch. I'd love to talk to you more about what I'm doing and, and what this industry is doing and how you can be a part of it. Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Jonathan your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go to numeris.capital. Check out everything that we've been talking about today. Thank you again, Jonathan. Thank you, George. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. Before I go, quick announcement. I've been asked by so many people over the past couple of years about how do I start a podcast that I've developed and released a course that will teach you exactly how to do that step-by-step step, from figuring out the kind of show that you want to have to understanding how all the technology works behind it and then how to get great guests and uh, keep the thing moving and how to grow it. So if you're interested in that, check it out. You can go to georgegrombacher.com forward slash podcast course and you'll find it there. You can just go to the website. I'll also list that in the notes of the show. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing. Leave us a review. And definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.